We are in the book of Esther, but this is the last Sunday for the book of Esther. Someone wrote me a note in the early service and said, Esther is my favorite book. Thank you for preaching through it. It's been a joy to revisit Esther and to learn some of the lessons from this great book, which is on the seam between the books of history in your Old Testament and the writings, the wisdom literature. Many wonderful lessons there. So next Sunday, I'll be preaching a Thanksgiving message. And my heart is full of thanks. I know yours is too. I'll be thankful this beard is gone, for one thing. I was trying to trim it and cut a hole in it, so don't get too close. You'll see my uh, mistake. And uh, then starting on November 30th, I'll be preaching Home for Christmas And I'm going to talk about the five places we know that Jesus uh, dwelled and lived. So uh, I hope that you'll be part of that. I'm going to do a new and different series starting January 11th. I'm going to preach through the ancient creed of the church, the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to take 12 Sundays to just talk about the creed line by line. So you can pray for me as I prepare for that. We've called Esther doing good in a hostile world. Anytime the world is hostile, anytime it's difficult, uh, your good deeds stand out a little more. I went and bought gas this week for $2.47 a gallon. Anybody beat that? That is cheap gas, isn't it? In fact, it was cold, and I had all this cheap gas in the tank, and I thought, you know what? Janet and I are about to leave, and it's cold. I'm going to sneak out and start the car, and it's going to be toasty warm when she gets in it. And sure enough, it worked out just like I planned. I thought, I can spend the money, $2.47 a gallon, just to heat up that car early. And she was surprised. But when it's cold, see, you can bless somebody by giving them a little comfort and a little warmth. We sat by the fire for a couple of days, cleaned out the fireplace, and enjoyed the fire. Anytime there's a hostile world, anytime it's cold outside, your good deeds stand out just a little bit more. You can do uh, things with a little more impact because there's hostility and difficulty in the world. And we know the hostility and difficulty that we face as we try to do good in the world, the discouragement that comes from inside as well as outside. So as we culminate the book of Esther today, I want to focus on some of the key lessons that I've learned and picked up, and I know you could add to this. I'm going to read from chapter 11. Now, I've read all the way through to chapter 6. I'm going to skip chapter 7 and skip the last part of the book. So you're going to have to get the book of Esther and read it to catch up, all right? I'm skipping those parts, and I'm going to chapter 8, verse 1. All right. In chapter 7, we have the tables turned on Haman. Hateful Haman is hung on his own gallows, and King Xerxes is going to mention it here in just a moment. But if you have your Bibles or look to the screen, and let's see what the Word of God says. This is Esther 8.1. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. The great reversal. 
Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plans of Haman, the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Skipping to verse 7, King Xerxes replied to Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. Verse 11, the king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the properties of their enemies. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is the instruction of the Word of God. And so in Esther, you have beautiful Esther who seeks to do good in her hostile world. You've got wise Mordecai who seeks to be a light for his people. And you've got hateful Haman who wants to take out the Jews altogether and plots to have them completely destroyed. A few things I want to get out the highlighter and mark as we conclude the book of Esther. There are a lot of things we could highlight, but these these are some I think are important lessons from the book. Your future hangs on what you build. That's number one, okay? Your future hangs on what you build. What Haman built? He built a gallows on which he intended to hang Mordecai. Now that's Haman's style. Haman's into wealth and power and violence. He intended to exterminate all the Jews and particularly this terrible Mordecai who sat at the king's gate and would not bow or pay him homage when he passed by. It so angered him. He was so upset with Mordecai, not satisfied just to kill Mordecai. He wanted to annihilate all the Jews, but particularly he wanted to make a spectacle of Mordecai. And he built that pole, that gallows, just for Mordecai. When things unraveled, for Haman. And we saw last week where the turn really came when the king realized it was Mordecai who saved his skin and he had never paid the respect and honor that Mordecai earned by that act of kindness and and self-denial. He put himself at risk, but he exposed the assassins. That's when the turn came. And now Haman discovers that Mordecai is in favor instead of him. And the things he set up to kill Mordecai become the instruments of his own execution. There are some people who think that violence, anger, hatred, this is the way to live in the world. 
that the people who really succeed and really control things are the folks who are of this ilk, like Haman. Maybe you feel that way about your company or your corporation. Maybe, maybe it seems to you that it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. Jesus said this, anyone who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Remember when he said that? The Lord told David, David was a man who was a military uh, leader. He had too much blood on his hands to build the temple. And he was rejected from building the temple because of the violence of his history and his nature. We all make our choices. Haman decided to build a gallows. That's where he died. Mordecai decided to build something else. Mordecai decided to build a family. He adopted Esther when her parents died. That's a costly thing to do, but it was the right thing to do, and Mordecai wanted to do the right thing. He received Esther into his home. He built a relationship of love with this adopted daughter. It is that relationship which eventually rescues him and all the Jews. His future hung on what he built. Contrary to the attitude of some who were in Susa and Mordecai and, and Babylon, Mordecai decided to pray for the peace and prosperity of the city where he lived, to seek that peace and prosperity, just like Jeremiah told the Jews to do. I know there are folks who, who have heard the instruction of the Scripture to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Did you know it's also in the Bible to pray for the peace and prosperity of Susa and of Babylon? Why would God say pray for this wicked city, this pagan city where they lived as exiles? Because in the prosperity of that city, you will prosper. So the instructions of Jeremiah, Mordecai obeyed, and he prayed for the prosperity of his city. He himself prospered as Susa prospered. In other words, he built favorable relationships, sought to be engaged in the world of which he was a part, prayed for the peace and prosperity of that world, and it came back to him, that same peace and prosperity. Your future hangs on what you build. Esther built a relationship of love and obedience with her adopted dad. She responded to that when things were difficult, when he called on her to stand before the king and use her position of influence for the good of her people. She followed through. Not only was she delivered, but all of her people were delivered. Your future hangs on what you build. You got a wife. You got a husband, you have children, you have a home. Is there anything more important than they? When you look in the face of your wife or your husband or your children, are you not looking at life's greatest gifts? This family of which you are a part, this wife where you are called to love her as Christ loved the church? Is there anything more important than these? And yet we spend so often little time building the relationships that are key 
to everything else in life. And sometimes we sacrifice these key relationships on the altar of other things that are of less importance. Your future hangs on what you build. What are you busy building? What are you choosing to do with your talent, your time, and your resources? Are you caring for those you love? Are you expressing that love in practical deeds? Are you spending time with the people you say that you care about? This is what we call the care effect. The effect of giving of yourself to the other. Your future hangs on what you build... Be a giver, not a taker. All right? We've heard that little phrase in the newspapers, be a giver, not a taker. I would challenge you to think about life in terms of giving. Did you read the Wall Street Journal article that summarized some of these recent studies about happiness among humans? The studies discover that the greatest joy you're going to receive this Christmas far beyond other things, is not in what you will get, but what you will give. How many of you knew that already? Ah, so you have read the words of Jesus too. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Every day, in so many ways, we have the opportunity to implement this simple teaching in our lives with the people we care about the most with our family and our friends, the folks we're supposed to love, to be a giver, not a taker. The Scripture clearly says we are to put the interest of others above our own. We're not always to be seeking our interests, but also the interests of others. The Scripture teaches that you really live when you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Esther and Mordecai. They're illustrations of this truth. They risked what they had for the sake of others. And they were blessed in doing so. We're entering the holiday season when we're all going to be going to the stores and preparing those gifts. You know what your greatest satisfaction in giving will be? If you give something to someone this Christmas, this holiday season that truly, positively impacts their life. If you make a difference in the life of somebody through your gift, that is maximum joy. That's maximum happiness. It lasts longer than anything you're going to receive. It brings you the greatest satisfaction. It's a lesson to learn every holiday season A lesson to learn every day that you live, it is the care effect. Care effect is our term for Compassion Ministries. The effect of your caring for another is that you maximize the satisfaction in your own heart, the joy and the peace. The care effect is that you positively impact that other person as you care for them and that you change the community even of which you are a part through this act of kindness, compassion, and care. 
Your future hangs on what you build. I'd underline that. I'd underline be a giver, not a taker. That'd be a takeaway from the book of Esther. But I have another one that's a surprise jewel in this chapter that we've read. In these verses, Esther secures for her people the freedom of assembly, the right to assemble and protect themselves. Did you hear that when I read it in verse 11? Did it strike you a little? How many of you noticed it? Yeah. As I read through, I thought, the right to assemble. I've been thinking about religious liberty in part because of Veterans Day that we celebrated Tuesday. And what a precious gift it is. Esther and Mordecai live in a totalitarian state. They do not enjoy the liberties that you and I enjoy, and yet they work to secure for their people one of those liberties which we as Americans take for granted day after day, the right to assemble. It is enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. We have the right of religious freedom. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, right? I mean, those 16 words are dramatic words. They changed the course of government in this world when they were instituted in our Constitution. You know, freedom of conscience is the core freedom which you possess. Speech, the press, and assembly all depend upon the freedom of conscience, religious liberty. You know where the first government on these shores was established that had no religious test for office? It was the colony of Rhode Island in the 1600s where Roger Williams wrote this crazy phrase that the whole world stood open-mouthed about, no religious test for office. And then the man had the audacity to invite Muslims, Catholics, Jews, and secularists to come to the state of Rhode Island and be part of the citizenry. And people thought that's just wild and it was radical in his day. But no religious test for office is now enshrined in our U.S. Constitution. And there were two streams that flowed into the liberties which we have in the First Amendment. One of them is the Enlightenment. Thomas Jefferson represents that stream. But the other stream is a religious stream. And Roger Williams, John Leland, and others represent that stream. It is anchored in this confession for us. Jesus is Lord. Say it. Jesus is Lord. Now, who's the other Lord? Is there another Lord? No. Jesus is Lord. King Xerxes might want to be Lord, but Jesus is Lord. You see, Haman wanted Mordecai to bow the knee to him. 
but he honored a God who was God of heaven and earth and he would not bow to Haman even though Haman was angry and hateful toward him. Jesus is Lord is the center of our conviction that every person should make his own response to God. Theologically, we put these in the competency of the soul before God. And we talk about how every man and woman, boy and girl, is created by God to respond to God on their own. And others cannot respond on their behalf. They must respond themselves. We in our church believe this. It's why we baptize only folks who are believers, who reach an age where they can make their own confession. It's why we do that. Because every individual has the responsibility and opportunity to respond to God on their own. In other words, every individual is loved by God, has infinite worth in the sight of God, great value and dignity in the sight of God. This view of the human nature and of every individual gave birth to the freedom which we enjoy. Freedom of conscience. Freedom to speak your mind. Freedom to print and disseminate that truth and freedom to assemble in a room and there share together in the conscience that you have. This is a great and wonderful thing that we enjoy. It needs protection. It needs vigilant protection. There are always some people who think that freedom of religion, speech, and press, and assembly, that's just too much freedom. That's just too much. And every generation has those who believe that's just too much freedom. Be careful when you begin to think that others' freedom should be circumscribed and limited. For as we limit the freedom of another, we inevitably limit our own. Embedded then in the confession Jesus is Lord is this wonderful truth that every person needs to be free to relate to God on their own and thus freedom of conscience is central to what we believe. I'm glad that I live in a land like ours where I can preach the word and people can respond. I'm glad I live in a place where we are able to freely assemble. This was a value that Mordecai and Esther sought for their people and that the king granted. And I'm glad that we are able to preach and declare that Jesus is Lord in all the places where we go. Now I have a question for you about this freedom of assembling and freedom of speech, okay? Here's my question. Not do you want it, the question is, are you using it? Are you using it? Is this the first time in a year you've assembled with God's people? Are you taking advantage of the freedom to assemble? Are you speaking up for your faith in Christ where you live, in your workplace? In other words, are you using the freedom that you have been granted? You are free to passionately, consistently, 
declare Jesus as Lord and to speak that word in your world. Somebody said, well, preacher, what would you do if that became illegal? (laughs) I'm not preaching up here because the government gives me permission to do so. All right? I mean, woe is me, the prophet said, if I preach not the gospel. I am preaching under the banner of the cross. Amen? That's where my freedom is anchored. It's not at the permission of the government, but that at the insistence of the Lord Jesus, who himself was executed by his government, that we preach and declare these truths. In other words, we are faithful to Christ as we declare his gospel. And our allegiance unconditionally belongs to him and him alone. Every other allegiance in my life is conditioned upon the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the Christian perspective of the freedom which Mordecai and Esther negotiated for their people in the king of Uh, in the kingdom of Persia. Are you using it? Are you speaking the truths that God's revealed to you in his word? Are you using your freedom to assemble, to propagate the word and truth of the gospel? I pray that you are. And I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you if you're not. And that you wake up to the wonder of the freedom which you possess and use it to share Christ with the nations. Bow with me, please. Maybe you've come in this place wrestling with a huge decision. Jesus is Lord. Maybe you've come needing to take some action that's difficult. Jesus is Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that the Lordship of Christ in our lives will be our compass for the way we live our lives, the way we direct our steps, the way we make decisions. God, I pray for those who are in the throes of great conflict. Lord, that you will be with them. Give them strength for the day. Give them the determination that they need. Give them clarity of thought and wisdom from on high. Lord, thank you for Esther's example of courage, wisdom, and strength in a hostile world. May this be true also about us. In Jesus' name we pray.